All right, let's open up 2 Chronicles chapter 31. As we continue to see King Hezekiah and the revival that he is bringing there to the nation of Judah. And the happy times that he is bringing there to the nation of Judah. Now, obviously... Looking at me, you can tell I was not born or lived during the 1950s. But that was a good time for our nation. Came out of World War II after the Korean War. And, and, and there, was a, there was a moment where God blessed our country with, with peace. A lot of change happened in the 1950s. We've seen a lot of soldiers returning back from war building our nation, the interstate system started up, a lot of fast food joints started up. Maybe that's not a good thing. But there was a lot of good going on. TV was going out. We had, we had college was starting to be available for everyone. Uh, not only the rich were able to buy cars, but your average everyday Joe could go buy them one now. So there was a lot of good that was happening in the 1950s. You know, it was happy days are here again. And uh, we're looking at the nation of Judah uh, and King Hezekiah over these past three chapters we've studied. And there's happy days coming back to the nation of Judah. After a horrible time with King Ahaz and how low he had brought Judah to and, and, the, and the moral decay that was brought there, Hezekiah is bringing the good times back to Judah. And we could take some comfort in that because I know the Lord wants to bring the good times back to us and we know what we have to do to find that good time again. But so we see that peaceful years in Judah are ahead after a great moral decay. We see that the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are once again celebrated in the nation of Judah, which it hadn't been done in quite a long time. We're going to see here as King Hezekiah starts to reinstate the, the priesthood and the Levites to their courses again. And, and he's going to get things back on track. And in, in a certain extent, Hezekiah was being presented here almost as a new David for the nation of Judah, trying to bring them back to that, that reign like David had. And you could probably say Hezekiah was probably the second best king Judah had next to David, being David the gold standard of what all kings should be. So let's go ahead and open up in verse 1. And it starts, it says, now when all of his, now when all of this was finished, and we're talking about them celebrating uh, the Passover and the feast, and they, remember they celebrated, we talked about it last week, they celebrated for seven days, and they said, nope, let's keep going, let's do it another seven days. So they were having a great time worshiping God, sacrificing their offerings to him, and just praising him for who he was. There was joy and excitement about God again in the nation of Judah, where it had been gone for so long. Ahaz shut up the temple, and now we see Hezekiah reopening, and the celebration is coming. He even invited those who were from Israel that were not being taken away by the Assyrians at the moment to come down and worship their God, to turn back to God as a nation and as a people. So it says, now when all this was finished, 
All Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own city, cities, every man to his possession. So we see here after the revival, the children, I'm sure of not just Israel, but both Judah and Israel decided to go not only tear down the high places that were there in Jerusalem, but they went into the cities of Judah. So they went into the countryside and started to tear down all the idols, all the things that was hindering them from the blessings of God, all the things that was hindering them from worshiping the true and living God, they were going to go tear down. Some of them would go tear it down as they were on their way back to Israel, to, to their possession. So we see the idols being tore down. And we talked about tearing down the idols in our own life. So they were doing things that were right. They were doing things that were holy and, and getting rid of sin and getting rid of idols. But I want to look at this, this being holy. Holiness was not from the revival. Not, and it was not the reason for the revival. So many times you hear preachers say, tear down this image. Tear down the sin in your life and revival will come. Revival doesn't come because we're tearing down sin or tearing down idols in our life. The biblical pattern, however, is that when the grace and goodness of God is seen, then revival will come. It is not of our own doing. So if you look at Romans 2, you don't have to turn there, but Romans 2, uh, verses, Romans 2, verse 4, it tells us, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? So God's goodness and his grace will lead us to repentance. We can't get there on our own unless we're drawn to him to repent, to have this moment where we turn from what we are doing because we are going towards God. Remember, a while back we talked about repentance. That is a two-way street. We're turning from our sin and then turning towards God. So revival is what brought about the holiness. Revival is what brought about the goodness that they were going to do because God was drawing them to it. God was telling them to repent of their sins, and they were obeying what he was saying. So in verse, starting in verse 2, it says, And Hezekiah appointed the division of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and Levites, for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a, a portion of his possessions for burnt offering, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for uh, the Sabbath and the new moons, and the set feasts as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and Levites that they might devout, uh, devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the, as the commandment uh, was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, all and honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. 
So here we see Hezekiah is starting to reestablish the courses that David had put for the priests and the Levites where they would come in for a moment of time and do their service in the temple there in Jerusalem. When they were done with their service, they would return back to the outlying cities or wherever they lived at to perform their everyday duties. So Hezekiah was, now that the temple was open, now that we've, we've celebrated the Passover and, 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 and these feasts, and now let's, let's reorder or let's reestablish the priesthood. Let's reestablish what God wants us to do here in the temple. So in verse, verse 2, it's, it's something that kind of caught me when it said that the gates of the camp of the Lord. Now he's talking about the temple here. And we're going to see as uh, in the next chapter when uh, Sennacherib comes in to try and take, take over that area that, that Israel is going to get, or Judah is going to get the victory. Because we have the mighty warrior God is going to protect him and give him that victory. So it's almost like he's saying, the gates of the camp of the Lord is kind of like their base for, for, their, for, their, for their army to go out and perform these acts that God is going to have them perform. So they're sitting there praising God at the camp, worshiping God at the camp, serving God at the camp. And it says that the people enthusiastically supported the ministry of God. They were supporting the things that God wanted. They were giving to God's ministry. They were giving a tithe of what, a tenth of what God was asking them to do because they were enthusiastically serving him. It says we should, we should love the things of God and we should also hate the things that God hates as well. And some people don't like to hear that. But that's being online with God. And these people were loving the things of God at this very moment in time as they gave of not only probably their self for service, but they were giving their time and their money to the temple for the things of God enthusiastically. I think we could take a little bit of note from that in giving enthusiastically, whether it's time or our finances, to be able to push forward the things of God. Verse 6 says, And the children of Israel and Judah, so we're talking about both of them, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid, uh, they laid in heaps. In the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. So they continued to bring in these offerings and these tithes. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and had plenty left, uh, left for the Lord. Left, yeah, plenty left, I'm sorry. For the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is this great abundance. So the people continued to come and give with a happy heart. They, they gave enthusiastically, and it kind of reminds me of when they were Moses and they were gathering materials for the tabernacle, that they had to tell the people, stop. We, we, got, we got enough going on right now. We got enough 
items that, that are being brought into the t uh, to build the tabernacle. We can stop with the giving. What a day when the church here can say, stop giving, we got enough. I don't know if that we're ever going to get to that point, but can you imagine, you know, having to tell the people, hey, don't, you don't need to put anything more. We got enough money to run this church for the rest of his life, you know. But they were giving so much that, that it, they were just heaping it up for like four months. They were just putting what they were giving in a pile. And, and, and the priests and the Levites didn't seem to know exactly what to do with all of this. I think that's an all right problem to have. Um, so, yeah, they kept on giving, and the results that they had a lot. And I think about giving in, in the heart of giving uh, when I'm reading through some of this. And, and you have to have a heart to give. He said, the Lord said he loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's what he loves. He loves someone that wants to give. We talked about them giving enthusiastically earlier. They, he wants somebody that wants to give from their heart, not in a grudging Manner, And I'm going to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 8 real quick. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. You can turn there if you like. And it says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their uh, liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the, to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others." So we see Paul here speaking to the church of Corinth to give according to what the Lord is doing, doing in their lives. Paul is traveling to the different churches, kind of telling them about the needs for the church in Jerusalem, who was under persecution at this time. And also the churches, uh, the churches in Asia Minor began to respond beautifully to the need that was in, in Jerusalem. So Paul is, is, is asking them to give. Give joyfully. Give, give with a, a heart of giving that you want to do this. Don't do it begrudgingly. It says, even though these churches were not necessarily in the greatest condition to respond, they weren't the wealthiest churches. They didn't have, you know, maybe anything, really a lot to spare. But they were still had that, that, that spirit of giving in them. And in verse 5, Paul says, giving basically begins by giving ourselves to the Lord. That's where the joy of giving starts, by giving our lives over to the Lord. Because I believe a lot of us would not give if our lives were not given over to the Lord and we didn't have his spirit of giving living inside of us. Because I, I am a much more giving person now that I am born again than I was beforehand. 
I have no problem giving to those who are in need. And here Paul is saying that you must give yourself over to the Lord first before you start, before you can really give with the right spirit. So he says, once we are surrendered to the Lord and realize that it is all his to begin with, giving becomes a lot easier. We own nothing here. We'll leave with nothing. We come in with nothing. Everything is the Lord's anyway. So why not be able to have a giving heart and to be able to give to those who are in need? And it says, and Paul continues to talk, and he says, may the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, just like he was speaking to the hearts of the people there. May the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and our giving and our attitude towards giving, that we can be, be generous to those who are in need, generous to the church when they are in need, generous to our families and friends who are in need. Because we've got to remember, if we give away something of importance to us, the Lord can always replace that. It may, it may, that thing may be more important, and that person may be more in need of it than you are. The Lord will always replace. Or maybe the Lord will just have you give it away and not replace it, because maybe you don't need it. I don't know. <laughs> but giving is a good thing. In verse 11, it goes on, it says, Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. Then they faithfully brought in the offering, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Uh, Kananiah, the Levite, had charge over them, and Shammai, his brother, was the next. Jehel, Azaziah, Nahath, Asahel, Jeremoth, Jehozabad, Eliel, Ishmachiah, Mahath, and Benaniah were overseers under the hand of Konaniah and Shimei, his brother, at the commandment of Hezekiah the king and Azariah the ruler of the house of God. So we see Hezekiah putting these, these trustworthy men over the, the offering to be able to, to, to handle it and to bring it in and also to be able to distribute it out uh, according to the way God wanted that to be done. And it says, Korah, the son of Imnah, the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, was over the freewill offering to God to distribute the offerings of the Lord and the most holy things. So the book of Malachi kind of speaks about these storehouses that they had to make inside of the temple. And we, we've all heard this one before, I'm sure. So Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. God will bless those who give and give with the right heart. And he was blessing the nation of Judah here because they were given abundantly. Even in the chapter beforehand, all the, all the love offerings and peace offerings that were being uh, handed over to, to be sacrificed. They were loving God. They were blessing God so God would bless them back. Now, I'm not saying God's going to give you a million dollars or a Rolls Royce. I don't believe that's going to happen. But God does bless his, his children, and God does bless those who give. Now, I've heard the question said before, where should we tithe or where should we give? How should we do this? Well, where were these people given? They were given into the storehouse. They were given into the temple where they were being fed uh, the word of God, where they were able to come and worship 
uh, the Lord. And I think we should do the same. Put it where you're getting fed the word of God. And if the Lord leads you to give in other areas as well, hey, give to those other areas as well. But I believe that giving to the storehouse or the place where you're fed the word of God is where we should begin with our giving. To where we can get the, the, the work of God and we can get it, uh, get it out to the masses. But that's between you and God where you're going to end up giving and tithing. But I believe it does start in the storehouse. Verse 15, it says, And under him every were Eden, Minimim, Jeshua, here goes the names, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, Shechaniah, his faithful assistants in the city of the priests to distribute atonements to their brethren by divisions to the great as well as the small. Besides those males from three years old and up who were written in the genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division. So basically they're given a a salary to these priests and Levites for the work that they were doing. They were providing for them. And the priests who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house into the Levites from 20 years old and up according to their work by their divisions. I believe Moses had put the number at 30 at one point, but I think David had changed it over to 20. I believe that's what happened there. So it's 20 years old and up according to their work by their division. And to all who were written in the genealogies, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness they sanctified themselves in holiness. Also for the sons of Aaron, the priests, who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities, in every single city there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites. So we were, wonder why we have to read through the genealogies sometimes. There's a reason for it, to be able to learn where these guys are supposed to be at, what their part and they were to play inside the temple, what families they come from, so who was going to be the priest, who was going to be the Levite. That's part of the reason for the genealogies. Now, one portion here, they even started where, in verse 16, it says, besides those males from three years old and up. Now, I've read through several different Bible uh, versions, and the majority of them said three years old. So, I'm looking at this as they started young in raising these priests up. And I think as our youth, uh, we, we need to invest in our youth. We need, to, we need to ensure that the word of God is, is built inside of them. That's the next generation that's, that's coming up in the Lord. We need to make sure they're prepared for the world they're about to enter. We need to make sure they have every tool they need and every bit of education in the word of God needed to face this world coming up. This 2020 has been crazy. You know, and, and I, I'm nervous for my, for my daughters and, and maybe future grand, grandchildren. What kind of world we're going to leave them and I want to make sure I have, I have equipped them with the word of God the best, and to the best of my ability to where when tough times do come, they can stand on the word of God. And I think these young guys here that were three years old and up were being trained in the ways of God. Those who were living in the temple, seeing their dads 
uh, serve the Lord and seeing what he did day in and day out, they were able to, to glean from that and to learn from that. And hopefully when they would get older, they would still follow in the footsteps of their dads or their, their family members by learning the word of God. So verse 20, it says, Then Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandments, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. So it says, Why did Hezekiah prosper? Because he did his work with all of his heart. He was energetic about the work that he had. He even said earlier, which I, I skipped, that he was even given parts of his possessions to get the temple going, to, to be, make sure they had offerings day and night and worship day and night. He was given of his own personal items to get the temple going and to worship God. So he did it energetically. He did it enthusiastically, just like the people of Judah was giving with enthusiasm. He was enthusiastic towards the things of God, and he did it wholeheartedly. Now, there is a way of doing service to God in a grudging manner, and that should never be our purpose. We should never do anything for God grudgingly. We shouldn't teach a lesson if, we, if, we're, if we're just doing it out of obligation. We shouldn't, we shouldn't give out of guilt. It should all be with a full, whole heart towards God when we're doing those things. And we see because Hezekiah did that, he prospered. He prospered because he served the Lord with a whole heart. He gave it his all. And I'm pretty sure we can all search our own hearts and, 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 and lives and see where we maybe didn't give all, our all for the Lord. I can, I can be the first one to raise my hand and say, I have not given my all for the Lord in my life. But that's what we're, we're, we're striving to do. That's what we're wanting to do in our lives is to give ourselves wholly over to the Lord. And I think when we do that, we will truly see happy days in our nation again if, if the believers in this nation would actually give themselves whole over to the Lord and quit playing religious games. But Judah, Hezekiah, all had enthusiasm. And the word enthusiasm comes from entheos, which literally means full of God. And that's why God was blessing them. That's why they had happy days in Judah. Because this revival that came around from God filled their hearts up with them. And they were excited to worship God. They worshiped him and praised him unashamedly. They loved him. They gave with all they had. And, they, and we should want to give with all we have. We should be full of God. We should be in theos. Full of God. I would hope that's the goal of each and every one of us is to be full of God and to see the happy days come back again as Judah is enjoying the happy days right now. So Hezekiah's zeal for the Lord surely brought happy times of Judah and having the enthusiasm being full of God will bring happy times to our lives as well. Amen. Father, we do thank you, Father God, for this word uh, that you've imported to us tonight. And uh, may, we, may we look at it and learn from it. Learn, learn from the giving and the enthusiasm that these people had for you, Father God, that we can be 
givers, Lord, to you, Father God, that we can, we can, we can do it with a, a, a cheerful heart, Father God, and that we can, we can worship you with a full heart and, and just go for you, Lord, go for you with a full and, and full heart, Lord, that we are just filled with you, Lord, that your spirit would just fill us tonight, Father God, and throughout our week and throughout our lives. Uh, we ask for those who are here tonight that you would bless them, uh, that you would bless those who are not able to make it, heal those who are sick within our family here, Father, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.